Is this me being loud? Though that's a little loud. This is me being loud. Okay. Dan? Hello. Oh, Ooh. my God. Jeez, Louise. That's, that's too loud. Yeah, that's, yours was working. <laughs> that's too loud. Yeah. But okay. now you've got your cold open. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. 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 Third degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now, Soccer 90 is your source for all the typical stuff U.S. national team gear, FC Dallas stuff, club gear from all over the world, but. The stuff you really want to pay attention to in this moment is their exclusive brand new Dallas Tornado Tee. It is great. And the new FC Dallas Kick Childhood Cancer pregame top and the Nicosi Tee. That's the one that has the smiley face. Uh, is it an emoji? I don't know what you call it. Just the smiley face thing from the social media campaign. And all of the proceeds from that go to the FC Dallas Foundation. Now, if you are a third degree, wait, you are a third degree listener. So you're going to get 25% off your order when you use the code third degree at checkout with the exception of the Nicosi team, because that's a charity thing, guys. So go do all of that and check out at soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. We're back to winning games, even if it's over a crappy team like Austin FC. Dallas 5, Austin 3, and Buzz and I were at the game in person. Dan, you didn't make the trip this time, did you? By the way, Dan Crook is one of our two people here with me today on the podcast. Oh, hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, no, their uh, ticket prices were upset. I'm not paying that much. How much were they asking for tickets? Uh, originally, they wanted 73, and then they relented and brought it down to like 54 or something. Okay, now are you was that for the supporters group that was literally in the top deck upper reaches as far away from the field as possible? Yes, the the supporters group that were actually in Austin, they were that far away from the field. Wow, that's amazing. Well, uh, my hero, and I knew I always call him my hero and your hero, but he literally was my hero this past weekend. Me and Andy both, and we'll tell that story here in just a few seconds. Uh, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net. The amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Calling in today from a gas station about 35 miles north of Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So uh, uh, my co-host of the kick around, Andy and I, uh, were decided to go to the game. Uh, A listener of the show and of the podcast had offered us his season tickets that he had purchased. And so we elected to drive down. For a whole host of reasons I won't get into, but I'm glad I did, kinda. I rented a car. We got a big exp- uh, Explorer. And on the way down, about 40 miles north of Austin, we experienced not one, but two flat tires on the same side of the car. We have no idea how it happened or why it happened. Uh, but Buzz, thankfully, uh, and his wife were 40 miles away and they came and rescued us. Uh, and we ended up getting to go to the game. And uh, after that, there's a whole other story about the rental car company and stuff I won't bore you with, but it was a disaster. Um, and I felt lucky to have gotten home. Uh, anyways. I think you buried the lead there. Just the fact that you found a rental company that has stock is incredible. Yeah, that is true. They uh, they definitely had cars, and I'm not quite sure how I ended up with the bad luck of this one. But 
Uh, but thank you again, Buzz. You and Amy were so kind to have gone out of your way to come get us, and we appreciate Andy and I both very much appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. I certainly wasn't going to leave you stranded, but uh, it, it just made for a little adventure and a fun story to tell. And, and I'll share the picture of the double flat tires as the intro <laughs> picture for this podcast. The episode art <laughs> yeah. is the flat double flat tires. Still, in my, I'm all these days later, and I'm still at a complete loss to figure out how that happened. My Very favorite strange. part of the whole thing, Peter, was that the instructions were to leave the keys in the car and leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of the back. That's part of the story after the game when I ended up having a confrontation with the uh, rental uh, rental company who didn't want to rent me another car to replace the one that I had left behind at their instruction because nobody had possession of the car and I had left it behind with the keys in it because I was told to by the company. So, uh, you know, corporations are crazy. The right hand, left hand thing. Right. uh, it's, It's bonkers like that. All right, uh, we'll talk about the experience here in a little bit uh, because I do think that's important and interesting, uh, and it was. I'll just I'll break it out. It was very entertaining. Uh, but Austin is absolutely a mess of a team, and after it did, well, I would say it didn't take too long uh, to figure out this was going to be a pretty open game, and despite the game going 1-1, and then I'm not even still sure, Buzz, what happened that it just blew open, and by halftime, it was 4-1, to one, and Dallas was beyond in control of this game. Yeah, well, a big part of it was the press triggers um, Dallas was using. Uh, one of the ones that they identified, basically, was that Brad Stuver's uh, not super great with his feet, so they were triggering on balls back to him. Uh, and just in general, I, I talked to Lucci a little bit about it today, and their, their idea against Austin was that uh, any you could make as a defensive group, they wanted to make five defensive actions in the press. And then at that point, if they hadn't won the ball, then they would drop deep into their low block. And that early press was exceptional because they, they got the one goal off of it right away. And I'm, and, I, and I, if I'm, unless my brain's escaping me, there was a second goal and it could have been a third goal. And that, uh, Austin, you know, had basically zero ability to uh, well, I don't know, uh, play out of the back, break that press. You know, we, <laughs> I, I don't even know what they were trying to do. It's like the fact that they're like they went like 20, 25 minutes without any recognition that it wasn't working. And yeah. Even after they gave up a goal, it wasn't working. And, and like the the guy the, the the playing out of the back goes wrong. A Twitter account was already all over them before they figured out they shouldn't do that anymore. Uh, and, but you know, that, that level, that, that particular game plan, like Lucci makes mistakes sometimes, but he and his staff, whoever idea it was that used this tactic early in the heat to press Austin and keep their on their heels like that. Uh, it was decisive and it was the biggest contributor to the, to the goals early. And then it, and that of course opened up the, the defense once that happened and the Austin, uh, back line just could not handle the young forward, was it spot six guys that are all, that were all young and active and, and just causing them all kinds of fits. Yeah. We were sitting down all the way down at the end line of the Austin goal in the fir- for what, for the first half. And in fact, the Stuber goal that you're talking about, the opening goal of the game, I missed because it was a goal kick and you know, you think to yourself, Oh, it's a goal kick. What, what could I possibly miss? So I could look down at my phone and respond to a text or tweet something like, I'm not going to miss anything. And before I knew it, uh, I heard all the Austin fans around me cussing and screaming and uh, having a conniption. 
And and by the way, uh, you know, you can say what you want about the Austin fans. They are very, very uh, clear on the fact that their team is terrible. They all know it, and they all have event identified it. But the, what was amazing was as Wolf's team you know, blew that situation and then continued to try to play out of the back and continued to put their team in a really precarious position after precarious position. There was some real anger in the stands. There was one guy, I was convinced he was going to jump out of the stands, go and clear the lines himself. He was, um, he was, he was crazy upset about it. Uh, And it was, uh, it was, it was a really weird thing to watch. And I'm pretty sure there needs to be a law that expansion clubs are not allowed to play out of the (laughs) back. That should just be a rule. Yeah. The funny thing about missing the goal, because you look down on the goal kick is that the broadcast did the same thing. Now, usually goal kicks are a relatively safe time. You know, there's actually instructions from the league that that's when you should do things, generally speaking. Uh, but apparently the broadcast, I mean, I was, obviously I wasn't watching because I was in the stands, but I saw referenced on Twitter that they missed it. So, you know, it's, it's a it's rough when that happens, of course. it's No, no one wants that to happen. But uh, literally half the stadium got caught off guard by that goal. It was ridiculous how quick Dallas pounced on it and how wide open it was. Yeah, and then it just seemed from that point on, Dallas kind of figured out how to take control of the game, and there was nothing Austin seemingly could do. And Austin did have a couple of opportunities uh, in the first half. And they were, in fact, even early in the game, I thought Austin really came out pretty sharp for the first, you know, up until the goal happened. Uh, that was pretty much an even game. It was wide open the entire time, though. Yeah, and I'm sure Dan would agree with me. Philippe actually made a couple of really big saves early on, you know, that kept it. I, I don't remember exactly when they were. It either kept it at zero or it kept it you know, one nothing or whatever and, and kept Austin from keeping themselves in the game. And then he did the same thing late. He was a big part of the, uh, you know, the result, even though he gave up three goals in the end uh, because of the, like the 15 minute letdown Dallas had in the second half. But um, Philippe early and late was really strong. Yeah. Philippe came out with a couple of really uh, solid. I mean, there was, there was a couple of one-on-one chances, uh, header on the six yard line, uh, an advancing run. Just really need him to stop the uh, Brazilian. Let me turn everyone and just like uh, you know, and then just hoof the ball upfield. Just just get it upfield. Get it out to someone. <laughs> Always got to have a skill check in there if you're a Brazilian goalkeeper. Got to keep everybody on their toes. I think the the other part of this the the story of the game. Uh, speaking of uh, buried leads, was the was the starting lineup for Dallas and Lucci's decision to start a midfield three uh, that for many of us is almost the a culmination of a, a longstanding kind of running joke or dream, depending how you look at it, that is starting three mid, center midfielders were all homegrowns and Cervania got kind of a surprise start. Were you surprised to see that buzz? I was, I was very surprised because it's not what they did in training as of even as late as Wednesday. Um, now over the past couple of weeks, Lucci has twice told me that Cervania was really close. So, it, it, you know, in hindsight, Maybe he was trying to tell me something, but, um, you know, they, they worked with Ricarte as the first choice in training the days that I was there. Um, and I listen, I, I think very, very highly of Ricarte and a lot of the stats agree with me. Obviously, he's way down on Lucci's list for whatever reason. But Cervania played terrific soccer. And if, if you will put your brain into dream mode for just a minute and take Hader Obreon out of the thing and put in your, your boy Paxton, then that front six with Pepe, Jesus, Shun, Paxton, Cervania, and Surreal, man, that's 
that's exciting. I and mean, that's, it's all but one homegrown. And the, the one young guy is, I mean, I have no idea if he's a young DP or whatever he is, but he's an exciting young 21 year old too. Uh, that front six is just astoundingly fun. And I'm hoping we'll see more of it now that Paxton's back. Yeah, that was the that was the, the the real clear thing is that by the time it was four one at halftime, it did become very. It just started to dawn on me of of who was accomplishing this. Again, they're doing it against an expansion side that is morbid at best. But even then, that's still an accomplishment for M, for an MLS club to field uh, that kind of uh, level of homegrowns and achieve that, uh, you know, kind of have a 4-1 lead at that point. That was that was really something to think about and soak in. Yeah, I mean, some of those guys in the midfield from their side are some of their best players. You know, you got Ring in there, you got Fagundes in there, you got their their DPs are in there. I, I didn't look at their exact starting lineup, but, um, you know, one of their DPs is up front, but another one's in the midfield. So when you have, you know, Cervania and Cerillo and, and hey, well, and, the way Dallas plays it, Jesus is really that higher off striker, which in this game in particular, he was really good at that being that second striker and not in the midfield. Um, but, you know, Cirillo was Cirillo. And so Cervania really, for me, was like this box to box linking guy yeah. playing defense and offense both. And he was the glue for the whole thing. And he was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Dan, can we believe that we can even say at this point that Hadir O'Brien had a good game in Austin? Yeah. I Kind of felt funny about uh, that one. I mean, don't get me wrong. He had uh, Houston. He was a he was a great sub. Uh, you know, came in and did the defensive work that Vargas wasn't. But yeah, you need that pace option, uh, particularly with that high press. And it, you know, he has shown in in little spurts that pressing is one of his talents. He thinks finishing one on one is it isn't. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he should have had a goal in in the second minute uh, on that first. Uh, cut down a, a goal kick when uh, Pepe or Jesus dispossessed the defender uh, no sorry stole the ball right off the keeper's feet and then um, no that was the second uh, either way um, you know he forced the corner but you know that that should have been the first goal really if yeah. it was really oh. anyone but her there and well, he and Shun had one too I mean it could have been you know five six at half honestly well, I think by the time we're done telling this story, we're all going to lament the fact that it probably should have been 8-3, if not 9-3, based on all the really good opportunities. And some of them just easy opportunities they just flat out missed. Several people, different people did. Yeah, look, when you have, what was it, 20, 22 shots, something like that on the road, I mean, that's an astounding amount of shot ratio. It was 20, you know, and seven shots on goal. I mean, that, that's ridiculous output. You know, their team had to come up with blocks and had to come up with saves in order to keep it even at five. You yeah. know, this is about as bad as steamrolling as we've seen in many years. And it's on the road. I mean, how bad is this team on the road? And then to do this on the road is astounding. Well, again, let's all curb this with the with the r- reminder that it was Austin. And I have and I have a feeling by the time the season ends, Austin's not going to get any better. Dallas very much could play a lot better and, and end up continuing to climb the charts. I think Austin is, you know, it's an expansion club. They got a lot of other things going for them on the field just isn't it at this particular moment. Well, true, but their defense has been one of their stronger sides. It's, you know, the, their offense is terrible. Having only scored 20 goals, they're the worst offense in the league. Their defense is not horrible. And well, that's what was Dallas Sunday. was skunk. Oh. Yeah, right. That's I mean, what they, just, they wouldn't get tight on anybody. They weren't getting in. It was yeah. it was really strange. It was almost as if they were all worried 
that they were just going to get beaten or for pace or turned or something. You know, the one big takeaway, and Buzz, you and I talked about this uh, as you were chauffeuring us around <laughs> Sunday night, was um, it, it was the change. There's There has been a noticeable change in swagger with Ricardo Pepe. Um, and I, and I'm sure a lot of this has to do with the new contract. I'm sure it has to do with getting the, the, the whole thing off his shoulders in terms of what national team he's going to play for. And the fact that he got the call up and all the other things that are going on in his life right now. But in, in Austin Sunday night, I saw a new level of, uh, ownership of his game and trying to be a leader that I hadn't seen out of him previously. Yeah. He's a kid who, uh, I, I compared him sort of jokingly to New Kalush from Bull Durham. Uh, not that he's a dummy, but th- just the sense that he does not have self-doubt. You know, he's every time you've ever talked to him or watched him, how he carries himself or watched him take on every challenge they put in front of him, he always assumes he's going to do it. And he's always mad that he doesn't do it. You know, like like the the audacity of that, that silly 25 and 2021 hashtag that he was throwing around last Christmas or whatever it was. I mean, the audacity to predict you're going to score 25 goals or that that's your goal when you're not even the starter. I mean, that just shows you the mentality the kid has. And it's now, it's now starting to manifest itself in a swagger on the field because he now knows that there's basically nobody in MLS like one-on-one that can handle him. You know, and when he, when he and Jesus are playing together and playing in a positive way and you have Shun out there and you have Paxson out there, or in this case, Obreon, who's who's also occupying defenders with his pace. Those guys all make you play disciplined defense because if you if you move, if you give up on them, they'll burn you like Shun did like multiple times down the wing. So Pepe's getting these one-on-one defenders and he knows that no one can keep up with him on that. So uh, he's an 18-year-old kid. So right now he's got a swagger and I think we should all enjoy it for what it is. Lucci actually does a really good job of keeping him in check. You know, there's a, there's... There's times when he's it's necessary to, you know, bust that bubble just a little bit, like you you do have to do with all young, really talented players. And so far, Lucci's done a terrific job managing him. Um, so hopefully, we'll see, continue to see it go. I'm sure Dan, you've seen more than your fair share of uh, of, of young starlet players that have gotten the big head and not produced down the line. Yeah, sir. I'm I'm just laughing that you called uh, Pepe a shatter. Yeah. At the start. Oh, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to call yeah. him a charter. No, absolutely. He's at that. I mean, it's it's crazy. He's an eighteen-year-old, and you know, I mean, you, you get it. You've, you've spent enough time around youth soccer. Your people don't quite understand that growth spurts are still happening at that age, and and girls come around, and partying comes around, and all these other things that take people's minds away from the game, and or, or, or physically take them away from the game, and uh, just just watching the growth of it and him now, and the continued growth since really. You know, he came up to Frisco at 14. Is just, it's incredible. Um, you know, and, and he is now turning a corner, taking it to like that next level. And you mentioned the 25 in 21. Well, he's nearly halfway there, and we're not halfway through the season just yet. Actually, yeah, we are. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, just um, over halfway. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if he, gets on a, if he gets on a real good run, it could actually happen. I mean, just the fact that, you know, you, you get a bit excited at uh, FC Dallas anytime you get double figures on the season because it doesn't happen all that often here uh, anymore. Um, yeah, and 
you know, to your point as well about him getting pissed off about things not quite happening, he was visibly angry at coming off and not getting that hat trick that he should have had. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. Is Pepe the earliest Dallas player, and if not the earliest ever, when was the last time somebody in a Dallas jersey had hit for 10 at this point of the season? Oh, at this point of the season, wow. Um, I mean, the last 10-goal scorer was Yeruti in 2017. So you'd probably have to... And he was only like at 11 or 12, 12, right? yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to go back to like... Whichever one was the later one, Cooper or um, Cunningham, when they had the you know back to back, I think it was seventeen, eighteen goal seasons. Uh, uh, but even then, I, w- I I mean I'd have to go back and look it up game by game to give you that kind of information. But it's one of those two guys is the last time, and no one's ever hit twenty here. So you know he he's sitting on eleven. He's got what thirteen games to play. Yeah. So twenty is probably not likely, but he's got a good shot to be over fifteen. And that I think that's only happened like four times. Uh, I should look that up. That's a good thing to figure out. And several people have pointed this out, and and he certainly was deserving of the of the accolades and the man of the match. But we did see another level from Jesus Ferreira um, on Sunday night, and and because Pepe's getting a lot of the press for all the obvious reasons, but uh, Ferreira really has started to put some stuff together, and uh, he he took advantage of a lot of opportunities. Uh, to 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 put place his stamp on the game in Austin. Oh man, yeah. the The last two games from Jesus have been phenomenal. Um, the, the, well, the Houston game in the second half was phenomenal because the first half he was bad when he was compensating for Vargas. But uh, you know, when when they get him in the right spot, which is what they did against Austin, and they when he's and he's higher in that hole underneath Pepe, Pepe's occupying the center backs, Shun's occupying one side, Hadir the other. You know, if those. If the if the holding mids from the other team are not actively pursuing Jesus and paying attention to him as he sneaks in behind him, he has a field day. And he's done these last two well one and a half games now. He's been on fire, and I think it's the his best soccer of the season happening at the same time some of Pepe's is too. And that's why you're getting this offensive explosion basically over the last two games. What what do you think uh, attribute? What is the how do you attribute that? Like what has changed? Is it something tactically? Is it all mental? Is it just form? What is it that's got Jesus playing better? Uh, it's probably a lot of things, you know, I mean, we talk about it a lot uh, on here and I know that um, Lucci talks to him about it, you know, and he can tell as well as anybody uh, the kid can when he's out of position and having to come back for the ball and having to come back and cover up for Vargas or whatever, he's out of the, out of the game and nothing happens and the team falls apart. So a lot of times it's just uh, repetition. You know, Jesus is young too. We forget that he's barely not a teenager. So he's still learning the game all the time. You know, he's learning how to play this role. And so is the team around him. You know, it's like they, they've only played a very limited number of games with this with this current group of really young guys up front. You know, Paxson's been missing or Shun was missing for the Euros or whatever. And so it's just it just all takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, and, and we're the, we're the mid we're just past the midpoint of the season. So it's when you would expect things to really be firing on all cylinders offensively. And you're, you're basically seeing it from him. We also got a really nice performance out of uh, Shun, uh, who it will, as you said, buzz leave and go join his national team uh, here shortly. If he hasn't already um, a really nice explosive game. They really had trouble. Uh, Lima had trouble keeping up with him and, and, and guarding him all night long. Yeah, he's particularly good at um, how to how to describe this. At um, 
recognizing the gap with that, you know, when he's coming from wide and he's making that outside back sort of handle him, you know, one of the things he likes to do is uh, when he's flip-flop size, really on either side, is is come in and, inside and make the other center back react to him. And if the center back, center back reacts, then there's a gap for Pepe. And, or if he doesn't react, then there's a gap for Jesus or for him. And so he's really playing with ton of confidence. I particularly in that game enjoyed the way that he baited the the opposition player who had grabbed him a couple of times and then he grabbed him back and got a card for us. And then he proceeded to bait the guy like three times to grab him and get more fouls drawn. So um, he's a savvy kid who plays at a very high level for a guy that young. Just wish he's also he a little wind up merchant, isn't he? Yeah. Like he, he was, uh, he was, yeah, like you say, he was baiting Lima re- you know, something crazy. And they, they kept catching it on the camera. He's, He's grinning at him and mouthing, you know, shut the F up. And, you know, and it was like that that's the kind of, you know, Lucci talks about, you know, you need that horrible bastard in your team. And suddenly you've got two of them. <laughs> and is the other one now the, the sweetest gif I've seen of a player from Dallas in quite a long time, which was Edwin Cerillo's, uh rather rude knock of the ball out of the hand after Austin had scored the goal. Is that what you're referring to, Dan? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you you don't have a right to run the ball back. It's just, you know. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much in that, uh, you know, three-second gif uh, to discuss, but without question, the best part of it is the smile that breaks across his face when he recognizes that he had mission accomplished. Absolutely, and, and Alex Ring is, you know, he, he's he's a pro. He was he was one of the leading players on on New York City when they were good, you know. Let alone being the one, you know, the the one good midfielder on a terrible team now. I mean, so yeah, if if you can wind him up, you've kind of got the whole team in your pocket at that point. Yeah, with with surreal, you know, we you can go back to what we talked about him with the winner, right? Winter when we were talking about is he ready or not. This was the missing piece. Was this was the nastiness? Now you don't have to be a bad person, but on the field you have to have this nastiness. We've talked about it with every great holding mid that the Dallas has had: the Daniel Hernandez, the Grezzo, the the Leonel um, Alvarez, Leonel, oh God, Leonel Alvarez, um, the King, Simo Valakari had it on the field. Oscar had it on the field, even though he wasn't always an, an, a, a six. He was late in his career. You know those Chad Deering. You know those guys have a nasty streak on the field, and. Edwin has not shown that in Major League Soccer. He lacked a certain amount of confidence in Major League Soccer. He had that in the academy, and we've seen it with North Texas when he's gotten a red card or two from getting nasty in North Texas, but he he lacked the confidence. Well, now he has the confidence, and so now it's coming out. He knows occasionally he has to hit somebody hard. He knows occasionally he has to take a professional foul and draw a yellow card in order to stop the play at the right time. And now he has this gamesmanship, too, where – you know, listen, all those young kids are feeding off each other. That's part of it, too. You know, they know that they can play and they know that those, that group together can do some good things. You know, and, and that kind of gamesmanship from Edwin, it's symbolized by that moment when he knocks the ball out of the guy's hand. But it's prevalent in other parts of his game, too. It's not just that one. I, it's almost like, you know, it, just in his mind, he's hit that point where he's like, I'm not a young guy that's playing up in MLS. I'm a young MLS player. And that he's, you know, he's got that, like you said, that confidence that, you know, he's kind of been, he's been boss in the midfield, and and he's, you know, got the uh, Billy Big Spuds energy going on. 
All right. So the other thing I want to talk about as we get back to the back line is as I was sitting in the in the stands and again, we were sitting down in a group of season ticket holders, uh, Austin season ticket holders. We were the only Dallas fans in the section. And, you know, it was very clear to me that there was a large faction of them that were all relatively new to the game. They didn't know uh, the nuances of the game. And you can always tell that by people who refer to it as offsides. Uh, you know, they don't know the the proper term or Lucci they get ex- that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Me nuts. Um, and uh, and you can also tell just by the way they react to certain plays, things they get excited about or don't get excited about, etc. But there was also a group of them that did know the game and they knew it quite well. And no matter which per whichever group of these people it was, there was a universal commenting about Nikosi Tafari. Everybody noticed Nikosi Tafari and how good, especially in the second half, because, you know, in the second half, they're all, the Austin, Austin is shooting at the Dallas goal, you know, literally just yards away from where we're all sitting. And everybody was asking, like, who is that guy? Oh my God, that guy's amazing. Uh, and and he did have an outstanding game as the game kind of fell apart and became wide open and crazy. I'm telling you, I don't think I'm going too far to say that Nikosi is outplaying Matt Hedges, and it's not even close. Uh, I'm not going to go so far as to say not even close, but he's 100% for sure outplaying Matt Hedges. He's the best defender on this team right now, for sure. And I don't think it's a massive gap, but it is definitely a gap. The thing that is so noticeable, and you can see it in training too, it was it was clearly noticeable today, is that he has a burst over about 15 to 20 yards and can cover that ground so quickly that when balls are balls bounce loose or balls are getting crossed in that you think, Oh man, that's going to be a problem. No one's going to get to that. And all of a sudden he's there and he's cleaning it up and clearing it out. And it's remarkable. And it finally struck me today. I've been trying to draw in my head a a comparison to like who he reminds me of. And I, I always go to FC Dallas history um, for my comparisons. And it finally hit me that uh, the, the body Control the long legs, the range, the physicality, the aggressive mentality, the work rate, the whole thing is for me, Ryan Suarez. Interesting. You know who I was going to say he reminds me of is Eddie Pope. Sure, but I went Dallas. Yeah, totally. Ah, okay. buy, I buy Eddie Pope. And because you could buy, you can early Ryan Suarez before he uh, lost it mentally. Um, I think he just decided he didn't enjoy the professional life more than anything. It's not like he became a bad player, but early Ryan Suarez to me looks like early Eddie Pope. So I totally buy that analogy. Um, he's got everything in the game. You need to be a terrific, fantastic pro in this league and maybe even higher, but for sure in this league for a long time, as long as he maintains the mentality that he has right now and all signs are that he's gonna, and uh, you know, I'm, there's a certain amount of, for me, this in this season in particular, they're at a point now where the chances that you, even if you make the playoffs, which you have a legit chance to if you continue to do what you're doing, even if you make it though, you're not going to win anything. Let's not let's be, not be stupid. So like, there's a value at this point, I think, for me to play the guys. It's almost exclusively that are going to be the building blocks for the future. Absolutely, Nicosia is one of those guys and should be the lock starter. The rest of the way, no matter who else gets healthy, he should start no matter what. Yeah, and I don't want to I don't want uh, to discount Matt because I love Matt and consider him a club legend. 
But the age difference and the speed difference that you reference is so clear on the field. This is the closest I had sat down near the field and seen them all in action in quite some time. And his uh, his level of calmness is Matt Hedges-like, but his, as you say, his quickness and speed and recognition of the game uh, is just improving uh, every time I see him, and it's quite impressive. And really, the best part of his game is he always seems to be where he needs to be to head a ball clear out of the box when things are getting crossed in. Um, no matter where it is, I don't know how he does it. It's just really impressive. And again, I've said this a thousand times on this podcast. He's easily the best story of the season. And hey, we uh, we have that story on the blog. Um, oh yes, uh, he's, don't, he's, don't forget uh, to read been... Dan's story about Nikosi Tafari <laughs> at thirddegree.net. <laughs> no, he's uh, definitely you know he's got the mental side of the game down to the point where I mean, Lucci said a few times that they were surprised how well he's come on with that and you know and, and his physicality is, is just incredible uh like you say he's under everything it's like you know they were chipping balls into the near post and somehow he's on he's on it but he's at the far post he's on the you know he, he's on the penalty spot he's i mean yeah I, I i don't know if you know if it was a case of he's he's man marking they're varying their runs that much or or Nicosi really is tracking absolutely everything but uh, you know the numbers look fantastic with uh, Nikosi and and Matt in the back because they're both uh, you know clearance machines. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hedges Hedges is at the point at 31 where his physical tools are going to start to decline. You know, and maybe they already have. Perhaps he was injured a lot earlier this year, but he's not going to have the the physical game that Nikosi is going to have going forward. Hedges however, has the experience has the wisdom of the game and has been there in this league forever. You know, that's a great combination. The, the leader, the experience and the young guy with the range. I mean, that's, that's, that's the kind of defense that you can sort of build around going forward. And hopefully that's going to be, you know, for another year or two, at least if Hedges can keep it up, that that'll be some of the first choice guys here. I'm not sure the blueprint is the, uh, is the double win in season because you had that, you had Hedges kind of being the, you know, stay back, get under everything, cover, and then you, you've got the more aggressive, younger, athletic centre-back in, in Walker Zimmerman. Now you've got that in Nikosu Tafari, plus you've got Matt with a, a couple of years extra experience now. Uh, Buzz, typically after a game, we all like to sit around and dissect Lucci's substitutions. I was wondering if you had any particular reaction or thought about how he managed that part of the game, especially when uh, everything, like the wheels started flying off and suddenly we went from, you know, 4-1 to 4-2, the 5-2 to 5, the whole thing just started getting really weird. Well, I think he was hampered a little bit by the um, cramping players and he had to make a couple adjustments for that. Um, but overall, I thought it was actually okay. You know, uh, the adjustment at the end to bring on an extra uh, defender, you know, that's, that's something I've been ripping him for is like the idea that you, that you have to stay loyal to your shape. And when you don't, you can bring on an extra guy and end up with five at the back end up sort of a, man, man was it like a five, four, one kind of look? Or a five, yeah. Something. I mean, yeah. Five, yeah. Four, one, sort of like a low block as well. Yeah. Particularly because like you, where, the, the way Austin was having a lot of joy was into the, because Dallas was becoming more and more compact as their guys were sort of cramping up and getting, so the defense as a whole was getting tighter. They weren't, they weren't spreading the field as much. So Austin was getting a lot of hay wide and then coming inside from the wide positions. You bring on the extra defender, you know, and you, all of a sudden you've got Munjoma out there as an extra outside back. And it, so you have your tight 
back four in the across with the extra guy. And that cleans up those wide spaces a lot. And that was kind of what closed it down in the end, you know, and he, and he brought in a couple of guys that had the ability to really run, you know, like you weren't going to be able to run with, uh, with Hara up top, but Elmed Carr can do that a fair bit. Um, Che's got some ability to get up and down. Majoma's got some ability to get up and down. Uh, Tuomasi was still on there. They moved him a little higher so he could use his ability to get up and down. So they they had guys out there that could counter a little bit and cover up for Hara a little bit. And full credit to Franco Hara for getting out there and scrapping. He had that, that incredibly cheeky goal that turned out to be offsides that I was giggling in my hand trying not to get in trouble with the fans around me laughing at that. Um, and, but just doing a good job eating up game time and eating up center backs and keeping people distracted. I, I actually thought it was a relatively good set of substitutions. I didn't have any complaints about it. I really liked the uh, when they brought in uh, Tumasi. You mentioned, uh, sorry, brought in Minjama, and you mentioned Tumasi playing up a little higher. He was fantastic when he went into center mid, and it was not something we've really yeah. seen too much out of him. I mean, traditionally a winger that's that's been converted to a fullback. Yeah, every time over the last two months that I've had a conversation with Valucci about who could play in the middle if they were if this happened or that happened, he always brings up Tuomasi as a at linking eight type player. He's a hundred percent is in Lucci's playbook to do that. We finally saw that a little bit in this game. And there was a little bit too, where he was playing wide in midfield some. Um, and he certainly is obviously an option to play even as a right wing. Uh, if if O'Brien were to get suspended or something and Paxson was still hurt. I mean, you could still use him as a wing too. So, well, uh, the other other comment I'll make about the on-field stuff is we talk a lot about Lucci being an inexperienced, relatively new manager and his uh, habit of standing on the sideline and just constantly yelling at the players and coaching and directing. And lo and behold, looking down the sideline in Austin Sunday night, who else was standing on the sideline doing almost exactly the same thing, but equally young and inexperienced Josh Wolf. And that was really, uh, really cinched it for me is that's the difference between <laughs> guys that are learning the job, right? Yeah. And not comfortable in that they got everybody uh, doing what they want them to do. And somebody like a Bruce arena or a Bob Bradley that just do a very minimal amount of that over the course of 90 minutes. Yeah. I think there's probably a component too of how veteran your team is, how settled your team is, how sure. well they play the system you want to play. I mean, I remember finding it remarkable watching some of the best coaches in the EPL, like Alex Ferguson. I remember having like, uh, and maybe I'm totally delusional that it was him, but having just like a little pad and just jotting down like a couple of little notes and hardly saying anything other than when he was subbing a guy in, then he's going to give him some instructions. But, you know, the coaches got to learn too, you know, they have to learn just like players have to learn. And we have been talking forever about how Lucci's learning all the time. You know, I keep hoping that he'll stop talking as much, but he also has got five or six guys on his team that are making mental mistakes at a relatively high rate just because they're still learning to play certain positions. It's not massive mistakes, but it's not, you know, there's still moments of which like, that's not right. Come on, come on, come on. You know, and they still every day work on tactics and training and every day they work on concepts. You know, it's just, he's a really young team that's playing. And some of those guys, even like when Shea's out there, it's like the guys hardly knows where to be at all. So, you know, um, I don't blame Lucci for it, but I, I do wish he would shut up and sit down a lot more than he does because it is annoying. And I'm sure it's annoying for the players. I mean, I used to hate it when my scrub wreck butt would be playing on the same side as a coach. It wouldn't shut up. I used to hate it too. 
So, Buzz, Saturday night, the club has to travel out to Salt Lake uh, to face that team, which is, by the way, this is always the worst time to face a team when they're on their first game back since firing their coach. Uh, and, you know, they're always that always seems to work well for a result for the, for the new coach. Uh, I am interested because you did uh, tweet out a video earlier today after being at practice that you had some Paxton news. Yeah. Is it possible that in Salt Lake we will have – how many five homegrowns in the front line uh, in Salt Lake Saturday night? Uh, it's possible. Uh, um, but first, let's remind everybody that Salt Lake didn't fire their coach. He quit to become an assistant for Seattle. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I'm telling the story wrong. Yeah, well, th- it's an amazing thing that he was a head coach at Salt Lake and left to go be an assistant at Seattle. Just tells you where Seattle RSL's franchise is right now with their whole ownership and you know, the guy obviously was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> but Masteroni will be their coach. Yeah, so here's the deal on Paxton. Paxton is uh, back in training. He looks phenomenal, by the way. Uh, super bright and active. You, I don't see any signs of any injury at all. Last time when he came back, you know, he was still gimping around. Not today. He looked phenomenal. <laughs> and you'll like this, Peter, story. Uh, at the end of the practice, he came over and I was chatting with him. And, and I said, how you feeling? And he said, oh, I feel good. And I said, Okay, is that Paxton feel good or do you actually feel good? And he laughed. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, no, I actually really feel good this time. <laughs> so <laughs> he knew exactly what I meant about saying that he's good even when he's not. So he is good and uh, he is ready to go. And it looks, based on what I witnessed, it looks like he's going to be the guy. Uh, Shun is gone, Acosta is gone, and Vargas is gone. So that doesn't leave you a whole lot of choices. Oh, Pepe has gone also. Thank so, God Vargas is gone. Yeah. So Vargas is out of the mix, you know, because he could have been an option. So Franco Hara for Pepe is obvious, right? I mean, I wish it wasn't, but it is. So Jesus is still here. That So that'll be the same. Pomico back in on the left. That's easy, right? Aubrey out on the right because you don't have Shun. You don't have Vargas. You don't have – I mean, Khalil's not really ready for 90 yet. So that those two guys are obvious. And I think when you win 5-3 that – Every, pretty much everyone's going to stay that can stay. So that means Cervania, who was fantastic, and Trio will stay. Um, Faco trained. He does look like he could go, but I don't think that they will force that, given the fact that Cervania did so well. And then the back, of course, will be Hedges, uh, Hollingshead, Tafari. Tafari, i got to get that right. Tuomasi and uh, Philippe. Uh, Jimmy Mauer participated today, but he did not participate 100%. So again, What's he his probably, injury? I forgot. It's... Oh man, I don't even remember what it is. Um, it's it's the same thing he's had a problem with for a while now. Um, it's a quad, I think. Yeah, I think I want to say it's just some tightness. So like, if if he had to play tomorrow, like if it was a playoff game, I'm sure he could play because he trained on it and last week he was jogging on it. I think it's just they're just being precautious. And Felipe was really getting close to challenging anyway, and they probably wanted to give him some playing time. He wasn't going to beat Mauer out because Mauer's got some leadership qualities that Felipe doesn't have, but. Um, I think they're okay with giving Jimmy a couple of games off to, and give Felipe some games. And he was great. So I don't have any complaints about him being in there. So that's what you're going to see. That's your 11. I, w- I would anticipate. I don't think Faco. There's no reason to rush back Faco or Maurer. Uh, and Paxton is ready, and he, he looked phenomenal today. Oh, man, well, good. we're now uh, four games deep. What will then be four games deep into this road, you know, this hellish schedule with a lot of uh, road games, the third one in a row for Dallas. 
And, you know, okay, the first two come against the other crummy teams in Texas. Salt Lake isn't outstanding, but they are on the top end. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. They're on the plus side of the playoff schedule. This will be an interesting uh, opportunity for Dallas to kind of prove where they're really at. Yeah, l- listen, we, we talked about this stretch coming in, this 6 of 7. We've been talking about this for months you know, and they got a win and a tie in the first two games against bad teams. And right before this started, we mentioned those two games. We mentioned the second game against Houston and the game against Vancouver coming up. Those are really, you really need to make your points if you were going to get any. And, and if that happened, then you could have a little less pressure in Salt Lake, which they now is the case. And you have a San Jose home game coming up. And then you have a little less pressure going to New York. That's a tough road trip, no matter what. So, RSL having traded their coach, you know, maybe you maybe not traded, excuse me. They kind of traded them. They let him go for nothing. You know, um, maybe they won't get like that fired coach bounce. Maybe they'll just get like a, what is going on around here collapse because they don't have an owner. Their coach just walked out on them. You know, it's a kind of a mess of a situation. They give up a fair amount of goals. Um, so, you know, I, I actually, given the way Dallas is playing on the road, these last two games, I can't believe this. They actually feel like there's a real opportunity to go. I mean, they're usually terrible in Salt Lake, usually historically terrible in Salt Lake, but man, all of a sudden it's like, this team's actually decent on the road and everyone's missing pieces for Cole call-ups. So you never know what you're going to get, you know, out of these teams on these games. But, um, you know, with the way that Tafari's playing, the way Hedges is playing, the way, the back line's holding together. So Cervania and Surreal last game. I mean, you know, you got to feel like you like, you like the direction things are heading. Not a good team yet, but you like the direction it's heading. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anything else about the Austin game or previewing the um, Salt Lake game before we move into talking about the experience since uh, we were down there? Um, well, let's see. Brisson is still out, out. Uh, he's got at least another week or two to go. So he's not even available on the bench, Martinez uh, looks fine in training. Um, the, they brought up uh, a couple of North Texas guys today. Um, this is slightly off topic, but Antonio Carrera, basically since the new academy season rolled around, he's basically been in first team training every single day with the first team and not with the academy anymore. Not even with North Texas anymore. He's been in with SC Dallas every single day, which is amazing. I'm, I'm still predicting he'll probably be a, a homegrown sign this winter. Um, they brought up the kid, uh, Kaiser Gomez, who's the center back, the extra center back. They brought up um, uh, Smith, who uh, Colin Smith, who still is a, needs a lot of work. Nikki Hernandez, they brought back in from North Texas training, who's one of their players. And it's amazing. The guy that they brought in today that looked the best out of all those dudes was actually Jabron Rayo, who was playing uh, the best of his career for North Texas. He's been their best player all year, in and out. What's his um, last name? Arayo. R-A-Y-O. Jim okay. Arayo. Yeah. So um, honestly, like right now, like you, you can't, you'd have to sign him to a deal and you can't really do it. It's all complicated. But right now, like if I needed a guy on the, on the wing, I mean, I'd rather have him than a whole handful of dudes and a couple of dudes are even on this team, but way, you know, which is remarkable. And I, I hope that guy gets a chance eventually. So, all right. That, that's all I really had um, before we did the atmosphere stuff. Okay. Dan, anything you want to throw in there? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I've been a little bit quiet in case you two hadn't noticed. Um, I was running the numbers on Pepe, uh, comparing him to Kenny Cooper in 2008, Jeff Conham in 2009. He just falls short of both. Um, 
Jeff Cunningham, 2009, took 1,219 minutes to hit his 10th goal uh, in the 23rd game of the season. 2 2 mm. draw against uh, DC United. Uh, Pepe, on the other hand, did it in a fewer games, 22, um, but it was uh, 1,330 minutes. Uh, Cooper actually did it in 18 games. Uh, although he was playing 90s for most of it, so it was like one yeah. 1,533. Cooper was uh, at training game today. But, uh, yeah, those numbers. He's he's kind of... He's not a million miles from that pace. It's a remarkable season, and Kenny, uh, at that point, was that Kenny's first or second stint? That was his first stint. That was his first stint, yeah. His first. yeah. Yeah, his first stint, and... Uh, Man, yeah. Sometimes we forget about how good he was, and just got frustrated about how good he really could have been if he just played the position <laughs> that he was built to play, and not the one he wanted to play. Yeah, <laughs> and if he'd have stuck around, maybe you know, like he, the places he went when he went back overseas after that stint, it never really worked out. He didn't really get a yeah. much of a look, to be honest. So if he'd have stayed here and banged in. You know, three or four more seasons at that rate, we might be talking him as one of the all-time greats of this franchise. I mean, he's still up there, but you know, it was a shame that he left. In my opinion, we can always have a debate another day. Who's a better right winger, Hadero Brian or Kenny Cooper? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> well, it is definitely Kenny Cooper. Well, I don't know. Obrian. Uh, uh, won some brownie points over the weekend, or at least in the last game and a half. I'll oh, probably. did he make you brownies? That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the atmosphere because I was excited to travel down uh, and see this amazing kick-ass world-class stadium that everybody had been telling me about that they had built somewhere uh, north of downtown Austin. And I'm look, I'm not from Austin. I, I don't, I've spent uh, time in Austin, but I don't consider myself super familiar with the place. Uh, and if I am familiar with it, it's mostly confined to the downtown area since that's where all the events really generally are and stuff. Uh, I, I, Buzz, I don't know. I, the best analogy I could make for people when they asked me about it in terms of its location is it would almost be like dropping a 20,000-seat stadium in Addison, Texas. Yeah, Addison's a good shout. I was thinking like Mockingbird Station kind of area. See, I think that's way too south. I think it's way north. Oh, yeah. It's definitely much further north from downtown than Mockingbird well, that's, Station is. That's the thing about the picture that I posted, right? Where You can actually see downtown from the stadium. So that's yeah. why I was like North Park Mall, you know, that kind of distance. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. So I'm you talking know, about the Galleria Addison area. And you can see uh, downtown. As a former Addison resident, you can definitely see downtown. Oh, can you? Oh, yeah. then Addison's the perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, the, the, the domain area, you're probably looking at a similar drive as Addison yeah. downtown. Yeah, and no, I'm not totally by it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but it's certainly not the urban core area that everybody thinks stadiums should be in. And I know it's near a train stop, and there really isn't that uh, in in um, in Addison. But just in terms of oh, there the... Is odd, huh, huh? They're actually building one. <laughs> Oh, okay. Unfortunately, well, it won't link to Frisco because Frisco doesn't want Dallas County people to ever be there. What? So I guess my question is, Dan, I, because I I make the I make the comparison to Addison, and I and I worry that people go, oh, dude, that would be cool. I'm just asking everybody to really think about Addison with a giant twenty thousand seat stadium in it and the congestion, 
and the lack of parking and all of that, because that was my big takeaway from being there was that I know everybody loves walking to the game, but we were staying at a hotel less than a mile away and it appeared everybody, it was like ants traveling to a picnic or something. <laughs> um, and it was hot and it wasn't easy to get to. Um, and, and I don't know, it just seemed like a really weird place for a soccer stadium to me. Well, I, I, I don't know. Dan's not I seen it, so. I, I don't, I, and I don't mean it. It just was weird in the sense that, look, in downtown Houston, you it's like this urban core, and there's another stadium on the other side, and there's all these yeah. places to hang out and do this stuff. In Frisco, there's a lot of parking lots, and there's the other fields, and there's this ever-growing presence of retail and restaurants around it. This place is much like its location in relation to it, relationship to its downtown, it's kind of the, the middle ground between what Frisco is to downtown Dallas and that atmosphere and what Houston is to its downtown and its atmosphere. I, that's that's yeah. the best way I can explain it. Yeah, I think that's a fair description. Um, I, you know, whether you like it or not, it's probably just depends on your cup of tea. I mean, I really enjoyed it. But then again, I didn't try to drive to it. I mean, like I said, I, we, I parked at your hotel. So right. I wasn't scrambling for parking or whatever. I, I definitely feel like it, it's a place, and I feel this is true of Houston too. And to be fair, it's the way I do Frisco, which is I go up there way early and like go to a place, a restaurant. And I, I think this would this place would benefit from that too, just like you would from Houston. You know, it's, it's the, when I like it when there's stuff around the stadium. So, um you know, it, it kind of parallels to the picture that I posted of the downtown. I legitimately posted that picture without any context to the post because I thought of it as, oh, my gosh, look, you can actually see downtown. And people thought you were dogging and people thought it. I was dogging them and ripping them, which is one reason why I intentionally didn't put any context because I wanted to see what people would say. But that was my actual thinking was you really can't see downtown. It really yeah. is vaguely in the city. Wow. You know, because uh, listen, I, I hate the fact that SC Dallas is in Frisco. I'm also aware of how the world works, and I know that there are plenty of people in Frisco. And that when you when you claim that no one goes because it's in Frisco, you're being ridiculous, and you're giving the team an out. They need to be better at what they do. There's no one at the games because they stink at marketing and selling the team, not because there's not enough people. There's plenty of people. I'd rather be downtown. Sure, obviously, of course. So like, you know, this stadium, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the walk up. I enjoyed all the fans coming out of the whatever bars and restaurants there were. There's still some area around there that can be developed. I was thinking, man, if I lived in Austin, I totally would get an apartment right there across the street. You know, the, the problem that they they may have is, you know, where they picked right on right off the domain, it would be like building a stadium, you know, like a quarter mile away from the shops at Legacy. There's so much stuff there that no one's going to build anything in between it of, of substance because it's so it's that close, you're kind of diluting the market. Yeah, I will say that's the weird thing. And again, maybe I missed it because I didn't, I didn't walk all the way. It just doesn't feel like there's a ton of places to eat and hang out. There's a couple of breweries a few blocks away that were quite lively and had things going on. But I feel like there's a way more places to eat in the immediate vicinity of Frisco and Houston Stadium than there is the Austin Stadium. But again, maybe I missed it, but at least on my walk, like we ended up having to eat at a restaurant right by our hotel, uh, which was just kind of a fast food sit down restaurant. It wasn't like a, a, a you know, 
uh, table service kind of place. Well, it, it is new. Remember when Frisco started, there was nothing. Sure. So I yeah. think, you know, I give it a couple of years, maybe it'll fill in a little bit. Yeah, we'll for sure. Yeah. All right. So, um, I, I don't know. I think probably the next thing is just the stadium talking about the stadium. It's, it's cool. And I was fascinated to see the stadium for the first time because I'd seen a lot of pictures, but a lot of the questions that I had about the design of the stadium were confirmed for me by going in it, which is, I, I'm, I find the design of the stadium really unusual and questionable. I admit freely this is subjective in every single way, uh, but the roof, for everybody that's got roof envy, I, I'm just telling you, that's as, I mean, it has its, it, it definitely has its pros, but in my mind, it also has its cons. And in this particular instance, it's the design. It just looks very disconnected from the rest of the building. Yeah, it looks like someone stuck an airplane wing on the top of the stadium. Um, uh, my takeaways from the stadium were that the, the seats are really cheap and thin and plasticky. Uh, and for a guy like me, who's not tiny, that's Wait, the state of the art uh, seats that they keep touting as being the best thing in any sports arena in the world. Oh, I was afraid I was going to break it. Uh, oh. The, the section I was in, which is kind of like the cheap seats on the opposite, the benches um, is very vertical. Like, man, it is a, it is a climbing a ladder as you're going up. Um, now the cool part is that puts you like over the field. So that's a very looming sort of stam, which is very cool, both in terms of sight lines and in terms of an intimidation factor. Um, I love their safe standing on the end zone primarily because it was absolutely packed. Uh, and I've, I've heard a story that you can, if you have a ticket anywhere in the stadium, you can go stand over there if you want, cause it's general admission. Um, their fans were phenomenal in that end. Uh, just in general, I really enjoyed the whole experience. They stuck the, El Matador and, and, and beer guarding guys up in the corner, but you could hear them all game. I could anyway. I thought they were tremendous. Um, it was really hot unless the wind was blowing. When the wind was blowing, the gaps worked and I was refreshed and it was fine. When the wind wasn't blowing, I was getting blasted and it was hot and awful. Yeah, the roof create when the I mean, uh, the reason why it's built the way it is, is to kind of uh, encourage airflow through the stadium. But when the breeze stops, the roof creates a sweat box. I mean, it's just yeah, as hot yeah. and sweaty in there as it is in, as it is in Houston. Um, and unfortunately, on this particular night, it would that was for the majority of the game. Uh, and, and, and that and that to me was one of the downsides. The upside is the place is insanely loud, like yeah. 100 oh. decibels plus for most of the game. Uh, now I am closer uh, sitting to, I was sitting right next to the uh, safe standing area and I'll talk about that in a second. The PA system, the sound system in there is bonkers. There are more speakers just over the safe standing area section alone than there is in the entirety of Toyota stadium. Yeah. Generally speaking, their production value in the stadium, and this is something that I feel that I work in as a periphery and I work in a little bit. Um, so I pay attention to this kind of thing. It is almost NBA level production value. Lots of cool lights. Oh, with different yeah. Colors. The hype video. The at the hype beginning video was, was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. The music choices were good. Uh, you know, are they doing anything with the fans? I have no idea. I couldn't tell. Someone told me that they pipe them in. I couldn't tell that they were doing that. It didn't sound like it to me. You know, I'm not really one to get into fan drama. So to me, their fans were plenty loud enough on their own. They didn't need any help. I could still hear the Dallas guys, though. So, you know, the acoustics in there bounce like crazy. Um, everything in there I, it feels like it's close to the field. The, there's plenty of concessions. I stood in line behind like four people, and it took me like five minutes to get a drink. So, you know, I, they got a lot of good things going on there. 
um, the, the aesthetic of all the green everywhere and the green neon and stuff, the design, you know, a big, not big picture, but just aesthetically was all really well done. I mean, I, you know, I think it's a tremendous stadium. I know it's not for some reason, people that think it's not that great, but I, I think it's of, of an American stadium, soccer specific stadium. I think it's really well done. Well, it it has the it has the unfortunate um, uh, problem of opening the same year Cincinnati and Columbus opened their new stadiums. Yeah, it may are, suffer by comparison. I have not seen those. I admit. Yeah, I haven't seen them in person either. But just based on their design and the photos and the videos I've seen, just based on photos and videos of all three of them, Austin clearly is the third best of the three. And what's interesting about the Austin Stadium is that it it uh, continues with some design elements that have always driven me nuts about Toyota Stadium. So the north end of the stadium has almost an open stage feel to it. It's not a stage. There are seats down towards the field at the at the field end of it. But it is a big empty area where there's concessions and then it backs up to the offices or whatever that is at the, at the north end of the stadium. But as you walk around to what is, you know, in Dallas, the club side, the Windstar Club, well, mm -hmm. they have their own club. I think it's Lexus is the brand. And to get from one end of the stadium to the other, you've got to walk around the exterior of the club, just like you do in Frisco, mm -hmm. to yeah, get to the south end of the stadium. Yeah. And it becomes a U, almost like um, uh, Dallas's stadium is. And I, I think that's a weird uh, a design element. The chairs, you're right, Buzz. I, uh, yeah. The chairs are interesting. There's lots of leg room uh, from front to back. So the the gap between, I'm 6'2", so the gap between my knee and the seat in front of me was very comfortable. But Andy even noticed that all the seats are very narrow. So you're shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. You feel a lot closer in those chairs than you do in Frisco. And I don't know what they made these chairs out of, but you're right, Buzz. I'm not as big as you are, but I thought these chairs feel like they could break if you got if you stood on one, you might snap it in two. Yeah, thankfully I was on the end of the row, so I didn't have the you know squeeze in. You know, my relatively tiny wife next to me who gave me lots of room too. So, um, but when I first sat down on the seat, I was like, holy crap, I'm going to break this thing. Um, that's, that was my only real complaint was that, that well, the other than the heat, but, um, <laughs> here's my question for you. Do you like it better than Toyota stadium? Do I like it better than Toyota stadium? Um, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this and that maybe it's the whole, I like the open air of Toyota stadium after the sun has gone down. I just, there's something, I know that the, the, the roof creates an atmosphere that is accent accentuated by the fact that they've got that amazing supporters group section that is going nonstop for 90 minutes. And, 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 and there's just something about the open air atmosphere of Toyota stadium that I personally really like, but I also do many times wonder what Toyota stadium would be like if it actually had some sort of roof structure on it. So, um, I, you know, there are pros and cons to each of them, uh, for sure. I uh, I like it better than Toyota Stadium. I, well, I like it, the it certainly it, feels yeah. newer and not as dated and aged and worn out as Toyota yeah. Stadium. I'm just talking about yeah. from a purely use standpoint. No, I what I, I, what is it you like more about it? Well, well, I didn't like how steep it is to get up to my seat because I'm not fit. But that aside, <laughs> the way that it looms over the field, I really like how closed in and intimate it feels and how on top of the game you feel you I, you know i like to sit high so i can analyze the game at right. twitter when i do that you know i'm getting further and further away from the field i you know it's 
because it's a bowl, it's very tapered going down in there. I like the way this is, you know, hovering. You know, I, I just the aesthetics of it. I, I the roof. I get what you're saying about it holding it in, but I even the aesthetics of the roof. I liked. I like the way the breeze came through better than it does in Toyota. I liked the color and the neon, and I liked the show and the presentation. You know, there's a lot to like. I mean, I, I don't hate Toyota Stadium by any means, but I, I definitely think I like this one better. Well, when you're asking me if I like one or the other, I'm just talking from kind of a design, uh, sure. practical use case. What I vastly prefer to Austin than I do Dallas is the game day experience. The game day experience yeah. is absolutely cannot miss in Austin. And it is it starts and ends with that supporters group. And and I and I wrote this on Twitter. I don't care how they created it. I don't care if every single person there is getting paid to do that. That is an amazing scene and it drives everybody else in the stadium. I I can't tell yeah. you how many times the people sitting around me were all talking about how much they loved that. They all knew the songs. They were singing along with the song, not out loud like the supporters groups, but they would just kind of like be singing along with them kind of under their breath as the songs were going on. And to be fair, that section started before the game and did not stop going until after the game was over, even when Pepe and Jesus were just slamming goals in their face. The goal would get scored against them. The supporters groups just continued to go and go and go. Yeah. Uh, and it really set a tone in the place that when they have a good team and a team that is a contender is going to make that place really special. Yeah. People around me were singing as well. And that's going to be the key. I have no idea. And this is this will get into like how they built it, the market, the sustainability, all that kind of stuff. We'll find out. Like, Because right now the team is terrible. And if they don't improve the team – Will it sustain if they, if they, even if they don't improve the team, if this becomes a not hip thing to do, will it sustain? We have no clue. And it's right. It, we won't know for years whether they've done things right or not. You know, we won't, there's no way to know. I think what you're hitting on really more than anything is, you know, when we talk about FC Dallas's market and it's your biggest market and asset is the fans is the atmosphere. It's the, it's what makes it, an attraction um whether or not they they you know got things started in the right way or not you know they were they were very savvy they hired a lot of musicians to to work with fans and and come up with uh you know and come up with a couple of songs that aren't the same half a dozen that every single team in the world or in the united states does um you know you want to create a spectacle and they're their issue is, you know, their potential issue is going to be if it doesn't turn into what everybody in Austin seemed to expect, like a not a, a contender to get into the playoffs, but a contender for MLS Cup, will they be able to keep that up? But it's the polar opposite of FC Dallas where they're actually investing in that fan experience to say, hey, look, this, this looks great. Uh, you know, having fans cheering and, you know, even... I mean, yeah, just to, just the, the the visual and an audible spectacle of it. And, you know, at FC Dallas, you've got a great passionate supporters group that you stick in a corner that no one can see. And you, for a couple of years, you you hired a drum line to drum over them so that people couldn't hear them maybe cuss. 
so that yeah. you made so that you made a laugh and stuff, which is still brought up to this day. The FC Dallas hired a drum line because the supporters didn't make any noise. It was actually to to drum over the noise, but you know you then create this perception, and then people locally are like, "Well, why would I want to go there? They don't value their customers." My biggest takeaway relative to, to Toyota Stadium now is going to be the stage on the north end. Yeah, uh, I in Toyota totally Stadium. Agree. Yeah, with. I mean, they've done like a little bit of a presentation with the trucks and I get all that and, I, and I'm and i sure there's maybe there's a long range plan. But like right now, that whole space is a negative space in terms of its usability and its and its, and its impact on what's happening in the stadium. It's just a dead zone. So there are some people trying to get that opened up again. Yeah, I, I mean, I, who knows what's going to happen with it? And I hope that the franchise figures out a way to do something with it, because when you compare it to what we just witnessed, you and I, Peter, which was a 360, even on the end, it doesn't have a lot of stuff. It still has stuff. It still has colors and it has some bleachers and it has some, you know, things, you know, compare that to Toyota where you just have this, it doesn't do anything. So it's like that. There, there's a lot to be taken away from, I mean, listen, you can learn from every team in the league, like in any, any way you want to want Columbus drop their Academy teams this week with the list of the, the Academy team that the players all came from. So every time you turn around, there's something in MLS you can learn from to make yourself better. And this is another one of those things. I, I really hope that people from FC Dallas are looking at what's going on in Austin and trying to learn from it, even though it's not what you do, you know, you can still learn from it. Well, I mean, you know what? And I'm even going to say, I hope the people in Houston learn from it because I yeah. really am tired of Texas being the laughing stock of our league when it comes to, uh, attendance issues and fan experiences. I mean, in many ways, I'm thankful Austin has been able to pull off what they've pulled off. Set aside all the other parts about how they got the team and all that junk. I, I, I just, it, I am glad to see that a city in Texas has been able to put together uh, uh, an entertaining atmosphere because it is without. I mean, the the biggest takeaway is is the number, the percentage of people in that stadium go back because it is a fantastic. You must not miss it. Uh, night out on the town and uh, and it's really really quite good yeah my wife asked me if it was like Portland and I said like, well it's not that good no no no, no. it's, <laughs> it's not, not Portland, Portland. No, no. But, uh, you know, let's not go that far yeah it's close <laughs> enough to drive and so you know listen I know there's lots of Dallas fans that hate it but I'm just suggesting that it is a if you like soccer you can go there and enjoy a game there and experience it I think it's worth going and, and experiencing even if it's not against FC Dallas you know, it's it's close enough that it's like, man, I'm going to go check that out. It's worth seeing if you're into the soccer. Yeah, I, I got a lot of I wrote a big, long Twitter thread about my experience, and I got a few pushbacks from people that want to call the whole experience plastic or made up or short lived or whatever. And I'm just telling you, I was there and all those people completely looked 1000 yeah. percent into it and were loving their team. Uh, and I mean, uh, if it's fake, it's entertaining as hell. Fake. I mean, yeah, I and enjoyed I, it. And yeah. I just and I and if you really have that attitude about that situation, I I'm, I just would encourage you to step back and take an accounting of what you really want for this sport because that is the atmosphere that is going to grow this game in this country, not what's going on in Frisco and in downtown Houston. Yeah, um, and, and 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 that to me is way more important than how it was created at this point because we're trying to grow a game. We're not, 
I don't. I think we're getting bogged down into the nuances of of these things, and and I I, I gotta say it was fantastic. So kudos uh, to. They even to had a couple of cheers that I've not heard before, which is like yeah. you know a lot of American supporters groups, and I love them all. Don't get me wrong, but you hear the same chants a lot of places. You know, may, probably because of American outlaws permeating all those groups or whatever. You know, and they borrow a lot of them from Europe. I get all that, but they had three or four chants that I've never heard. You know, I thought that was terrific. I mean, the the all right, all right, all right one has too many all rights in it, and that bothered me the whole time that there are four instead of three. But you know, at least they're trying. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, I, there's two uh, technical things I'll bring up. One, their regis non registration requirement required uh, totally free Wi-Fi, kicked ass. I was getting about thirty meg up and down, and it worked perfectly without issue. The second kick-ass thing about the stadium is their stands for uh, digital ticket taking. So they have these white stands, and you just—you—it's almost like going to the airport. You just show your—you uh, run your phone with your QR code, and it—you check in. Nobody has to look at your phone or anything like that. It worked great and fast. So those were the two cool technologies that I. Well, this there. one's for the ladies. If you go check the bag rules, because they have different bag rules than FC Dallas does. Because my wife had to. Uh, they also have convenient. And she had lockers. the clear bag, and they wouldn't let her in. Right, because it was too big. It was oh. it was it wasn't fitting in their rules, which are different. So that's why I'm saying is like if you're gonna go, make sure you double check the bag rules. Now they have a very convenient locker, bank of lockers there that you can check in and out on your phone. So you don't have to touch anything, don't have to deal with anybody. I mean, it was ten bucks, but whatever, it's right there. So you don't have to go back to your car, which in our case would have been a twenty minute walk back to the hotel. So at least they have that. But, you know, if you're if you're going to take your lady, you know, double check those bag rules before you go. Good pro tip from Buzz Carrick to pro you, tip. third degree listener. Um, yeah. So if you if you thought about doing it, you should go get a ticket and go see a game in Austin, whether Dallas is there or not. Uh, maybe you'll get lucky and see what it's like to attend a game there when the home team wins. That'd they don't cool. win a lot of the games at home. <laughs> I said maybe, right? Maybe. I said maybe. Um, all right, Dan, anything you want to throw in there since this is all supporters group stuff that I know you care about so much? No, no. I mean, it's uh, you know, great to see a, a good show from the uh, Dallas supporters picked up really well on the broadcast, especially in those uh, in that 20 minutes where uh, a lot of people in green went fairly quiet. Dude, those dudes were awesome. You could hear them the whole game. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. We couldn't hear it. Now, I was oh, literally man. in the total opposite corner from them. We could see them, but we couldn't hear them, unfortunately. Um, I was on yeah. the same side at the other end, and I could hear them the whole time. Oh, that's yeah. good. They were yeah. great. They were great. They yeah. looked like they were having a blast, too. And all of the, the smack that was being run out in the parking lot uh, as they were... They were kind of in a group. All of the El Matador people were all in a group at a street corner, and people were giving them crap, and they were giving it right back. So that was cool. I, it looked like I they were it. thoroughly enjoying themselves on the march out when they were yeah, having they won were. the game. That seemed to be a high point for a lot of them. <laughs> yes, kudos to them for making the trip and showing up and making all the noise. That was uh, I was really proud. Uh, I was proud of the whole thing. I, I made a I made the uh, tactical error of forgetting where I was when Pepe scored that first goal at the top from the top of the box. Because I stood up and gave a big old Tiger Woods fist pump and then loud clapping 
for about five seconds and everybody just stopped and stared at me. <laughs> yeah, I, I still And Andy and... was like, Peter, sit down. What are you doing? You're going to get us killed. Yeah, I, yeah, I was wearing a jersey. So shut up, hipsters. I'm going to spit in your pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing a jersey and I stood up and clapped and I looked around. I realized I was the only one for like 50 rows around me standing up. So I was like, but I, I stuck with it. Good stuff. Well, thanks to uh, the people of Austin for hosting us while we kicked their ass. They were very, that was very hospitable of them. Oh, it was a fun game. It was. All right. Anything else, fellas? No, not really. I just, I'd like to double down on the idea. I know no one from the club listens to this thing, but you know, right now they're playing a bunch of the young guys. And again, how many years have we been saying this? If they're old enough, when they're good enough, right? Soccer's a young man's game. These guys that they're playing that are in their low twenties and high teens are plenty old enough because they are plenty good enough. And you got one or two veteran leaders in there. Hollings is in there. Hedges is in there. Mauer usually is in there. You know, Faco when he's in the midfield, that's plenty of leadership. Play these young guys, man, stick with this compared to the first half of the season when this team was utter trash right now, it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And this is the way forward. Find out for sure whether these guys are going to keep them or not. You know, build around this team as long as you can. You know, we have lots of ideas about how they can go forward in the offseason when we get there. In the meantime, if, you, if you've given up on FC Dallas, you come give them another shot because this team, as it's playing right now, is a lot of fun to watch. Well said, Buzz Carrick. Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now, Soccer 90, again, is your source for FC Dallas national team and international club gear. But especially in this moment, they have the new Dallas Tornado tee. It's a beautiful blue. It's exclusive. They also have the FC Dallas version of the Kick Childhood Cancer pregame top on sale and the much-beloved and highly-coveted Nikosi tee that has the smiley face on it from the social media campaign. And if you are a third-degree third listener, so you're going to get 25% off your order with the exception of the Nikosi tee because obviously that is a charity issue. But just use the code when you uh, order at, at your checkout at Soccer90.com. All right. Well, um, hey, Buzz, I hope you don't mind me promoting the fact we're going to be recording some podcasts for the kick around after each of the three U.S. men's national team games. And I think you're going to join us on the Sunday or Wednesday game, right? I believe I'm going to do Sunday with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So I, hopefully everybody get a chance to check that out over um, thekickaround.com. Dan, thank you very much. It's good to speak to you again, sir. You too. I'm, gl- I'm glad you uh, made it back down up I- I-35 without uh, <laughs> becoming vegan or something weird. <laughs> and with four tires with air in it. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> and Buzz, again, a- thank you to you and your lovely bride, Amy, for being our, yeah. our rescuers, our heroes, our knights in shining armor. We really do appreciate that, man. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Austin is wrong. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair Podcast.